United Methodist Church Worldwide Organization is meeting. Um, I believe they're meeting in St. Louis. They've met for a day. They'll meet through Tuesday. The reason I'm bringing this up to you today is they will be taking a vote sometime between now and Tuesday about whether to disobey God's Word or whether to affirm that God's Word teaches and that it's to be followed no matter what the culture teaches. Um, we know that churches who have affirmed God's Word in the past um, ha have stayed true and stayed strong. Um, and we know that denominations who have made the decision to turn away from the inerrancy and the belief that God's Word guides everything and that we need to believe God's Word no matter what the culture teaches, those denominations tend to turn people away from God and end up doing more damage to the gospel than good. Um, so I want us to spend a little bit of time this morning praying for uh, the members, the delegates that are representing the vote of the United Methodist Church uh, that will be taking that vote sometime by Tuesday. Uh, because ultimately, we aren't a United Methodist Church, but that doesn't mean that we want that church, that denomination, to do badly. We want the gospel to be spread, and the United Methodist Church system, the denomination, could potentially be a big part of that as long as they hold true to God's Word. And so we want to pray that this denomination does hold true to God's Word, that it grows and it spreads the gospel, leads people to the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. So this morning I want to pray for our service, but I especially want to lift up the delegates of the United Methodist Church that are meeting right now, that God would give them wisdom and that He would convict their hearts to follow Him and not the culture. So will you join me together as we in agreement pray for this? Almighty God, we come to you and we thank you for this chance to be in your house. We thank you for the opportunity and the freedom that we have to come and worship you um, and to hear your word spoken. Um, and Lord, we pray for our service this morning. We pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way. Uh, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds, that you would change us from the inside out so that our lives can look more like you. Lord, that we can be the salt of the earth, that we can be the light of the world. So help us to do that today. Lord, and in saying that, we lift up the delegates of the United Methodist Conference right now. Lord, as they have this discussion about whether to follow your word or whether to follow the, the encouragements of the culture, we pray that they would turn their back on the ways that are against you, and they would embrace your word, and they would embrace your direction. So, Lord, we pray now that you would give these delegates wisdom. Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, you would convict them to make the right decision. And Lord, we pray for that denomination. We pray that you would help them to lead people to the life-changing hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. So Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for this amazing denomination that we belong to. But we also pray for our other brothers and sisters in Christ as they seek to know what is right in your guidance. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you and lift all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. 
Uh, I encourage you over the next couple of days to continue to be in prayer uh, for this denomination. If you don't know, uh, the United Methodist denomination is the second largest denomination in the United States, Protestant denomination in the United States. Um, and they have so much influence for the gospel. And I'm, my prayer is, is that they follow the leading of the Holy Spirit uh, in continuing to be a Bible-believing denomination. Uh, now, before I jump into my sermon, I want to just give you a, a quick glimpse. Next week, we begin a brand new series. This is our last week in the book of Philippians. Next week, we begin a series called The Seven Sayings of Jesus from the Cross. Um, and we are going to look, if you look through the end of the Gospels, Jesus while hanging on the cross, made seven statements. And we're going to look at those seven statements, and they're going to lead us right up to the weekend before Easter. Um, and then we'll move right into the, the Easter Sunday out of this series. So just a little glimpse of where we're going over the next few weeks. I'm excited for this series. Uh, so make plans to come and join us uh, as we go into that series next week. Now, let's jump into today's message. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read God's Word on, and I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 10. Philippians verse 4, verse 10. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, you don't have an app downloaded on your device, please feel free to grab one of the Bibles that are in the pews right there. Uh, if you do grab one of those, I'll give you a little cheat. Um, if you grab one of the leather-bound Bibles uh, out of those pews, you can turn to page 668. That'll take you to the beginning of the book of Philippians. If you grab a paperback, uh, you can turn to page 551. That'll take you to the beginning uh, of, of Philippians. So... Philippians chapter 4 is where we're at. Now, as you're turning there, um, I want to tell you something I've learned over the last 16 months. Um, if you know my family, I have a 16-month-old baby, and I, I've been reminded of many things in, in raising little Declan. Um, and one of the things that I have, I, I knew from raising my 8-year-old son, Knox, but I've been reminded of it with Declan, and that's this. Babies are incredibly wasteful creatures. <laughs> Have you, do you remember, or, or maybe you're in the middle of experiencing it with kids or grandkids, do you remember what it's like to teach a baby to begin eating solid foods? Do you, uh, you can take a jar of food, and you can begin eating, and you will end up with three-quarters of that jar on the front of the baby and only get a quarter of that jar in their actual mouth and have them swallow it. They are so wasteful. They just have no regard for how much money we spend as parents to feed them. How selfish they are, aren't they? Man! But... Don't they do that? Uh, right now, the funny thing that Declan likes to do is he's actually gotten to where he eats really well and he doesn't waste a lot of food, but we'll give him crackers or graham crackers or bread, and when he starts to get full, he'll take his graham crackers and he'll break them up and he'll throw them all over the floor, and he just thinks it's so funny to make a huge mess all over the floor. Or if the dogs are there, he, he kind of leans over and waits for one of the dogs to come up near him, and one of my dogs knows. He, he's trained already. He watches Declan. And as soon as he sees Declan lean over just a little bit, he comes running up and Declan just starts feeding him food off of his little tray. 
And that's, that's what babies do, right? He thinks it's funny because he's feeding the dog and the dog's and he just loves it. He thinks it's so, so funny and it's cute, but it's so wasteful, isn't it? I mean, do you know how many graham crackers I go through in a week? And how many of those graham crackers are actually eaten by my 16-month-old? It's crazy. Why am I telling you this story? Paul talks about today what we're feeding. And so I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 10. So Philippians chapter 4 verse 10. It's the very end. This is our last message on the book of Philippians. So join me as we read verse, chapter 4 starting in verse 10. It says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. In the Lord, that at last you renewed my concern for your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica... You sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory and forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So Paul talks about being content. And you say, okay, so how does being content and feeding something, how do those two things tie together? So here's my big idea for the morning. Here's that concept, that one thing that I want you to walk away from this week and remember. And here's that statement. Contentment is found when we feed the need, not the greed. Contentment is found when we feed the need, not the greed. So what is the need? We're going to look at that this morning. In verses 10 through 13, Paul especially addresses, he especially focuses on this idea of contentment. So read with me again verses 10 through 13. He says this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. 
I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. I'm going to give you three points out of these four verses that I think are key to having contentment in this world. And why am I focusing on this? Well, first off, because Paul focuses on it. This is the focus of these four verses that Paul gives us. But secondly, I think that we as Americans struggle to be content, don't we? We as Americans struggle to not play the keeping up with the Joneses game. We're taught from an early age that the American dream is to find financial or career success, isn't it? We go through an education system, we go through college, we go through whatever school it is that we decide to go to with the objective of making money. And we tend to focus our kids and our own lives on having that financial comfort. When in fact, that is not the goal of Jesus Christ at all in our lives. We're going to talk about that. So, the first of the three points about commitment is the, uh, contentment is this. Contentment is not connected to our circumstances. Being content, being satisfied with who we are and what we have, has nothing to do with how much we have or how much we don't have, how good things are or how bad things are, whether we're in a happy time in life or we're in a difficult time in life. Contentment has nothing to do with that. And Paul can speak to this. Believe me, think about Paul's life. Paul had everything going for him. He was a Pharisee. He was making his way up the ranks. He was going to be the next big name in the spiritual, the religious world of the Israelite nation. He was somebody. And he sacrificed all of it because of an encounter with Jesus Christ on a road. And then think about what happened the moment that he turned his life to Christ and turned his back on the financial and career success that was in front of him. What began to happen? He immediately began to be persecuted. People immediately started wanting to hunt him down. He was arrested multiple times. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, he says that he went through three separate shipwrecks. I haven't been in one shipwreck, and I don't want to be in a shipwreck. He went through three of them. If you continue reading in 2 Corinthians 11, not only did he go through three separate shipwrecks, he stayed the night and an entire day floating in the open sea. That sounds miserable, doesn't it? Not only that, if we read the book of Acts, we also find out that he was imprisoned multiple times in multiple situations. And prison was not like what prison is today. Prison was a deep hole that they threw you in and threw food down with you. And you hung out with the rats and the bugs and whatever it was that was down in that hole. He knew what it was like to suffer. Guys, after one of his shipwrecks, he lands on an island and he thinks, okay, things are good. And then he gets bitten by a horribly venomous man-killing snake. The people who lived on the island saw that he got bit by this snake and went, you're a goner. You're done. Nobody survives a bite from that snake. 
And he survived, of course. Through the grace of God, through the power and the healing of Jesus Christ, he survived that. But guys, the point of this is to tell you, Paul knew suffering. Paul knew what it was like to really be hungry. Paul knew what it was like to have plenty. He had lived on both extremes. And he's sitting here telling us that contentment has nothing to do with whether we have a lot or whether we have nothing. But that's not what we learn as Americans, is it? That's not what we learn about contentment as Americans. So, what's the second thing that he teaches us? So, contentment is not connected to our circumstances. Second, contentment is learned. In verse 11, he says this, I'm not saying this because I am need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. Paul is making it clear that the different situations that he had gone through had taught him contentment. And you look and you see the lives of, that you've gone through and the lives of the people that you care for. And when they struggle, you hurt for them and you want them to have more. You want them to have plenty. When in reality, many times it would do some of us in this room a lot of good to go without for a little bit, huh? Because Paul learned what biblical contentment was because he had experienced all broad parts of the, the spectrum. He knew what it was like to have much. And let me be honest here. Let me, let me just call this out for a second. I truly believe that when we have plenty, it sometimes damages our ability to be content. When we have more, when we're very, very comfortable, when our finances are all stable and we can run our air conditioner in the summer and we can run our heater in the, in the winter and we can, we can live that comfortable cush life and, and we can buy the nice car, I think sometimes that damages our ability to know what it is to be content. Don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong even with being wealthy. If you look at, the, at God's Word, if you look at New Testament examples, there were many godly, wealthy men that were critical to the New Testament and the gospel being spread in that day and time. There's nothing wrong with having money as long as that money is not where your contentment is found. And all too many times, if we do have plenty, that's where we find our satisfaction is knowing I'm financially secure, I can rest, and our prayer life kind of dwindles a little bit because we don't really have physical needs to bring to the Lord, and we struggle with understanding what God's call is in our life because we can't imagine sacrificing our financial comfort to do the difficult thing that God may be asking us to do. What's the example that Jesus gives us? Well, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, what did Jesus tell him to do? Sell all you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Could you do that if Jesus asked you? That's the question that you have to ask in order to understand whether your contentment is in Christ or it's in your financial stability. If Jesus Christ came to you 
and said, I want you to sell and give away everything and go and do this. Could you do that? Because that's what biblical contentment is. It's finding your satisfaction in Jesus, not in the things of the world. That's a hard question, though. Let's be honest. That's why I say in, the, in my big idea today, don't feed the greed. Because the greed, the desire for our comfort, the desire for our possessions, that's what turns us away from biblical contentment. Paul knew what it was to have plenty. He knew what it was to be in need. And through that, he learned what true commitment was. So first thing, contentment is not connected to our circumstances. Secondly, contentment is learned. Thirdly is this, contentment comes as a result in faith in Jesus. Our contentment comes in trusting Jesus Christ. Not in a healthy bank account. Not in having a, a, a good house or a nice car or, or making sure that our kids are financially taken care of. Those things are not where true contentment is found. True contentment is found in Jesus. For that, let's look at chapter 4, verse 13. I want everybody to look with me at this one. Everybody look down at your Bibles and look with me at chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. How many times have we heard that passage? How many times have you seen that written on a wall in a sports stadium, in the locker room? How many times do you pray that prayer before the big game? But is that what this passage is talking about? Is that what Philippians 4.13 actually means and how we're called to apply it to our lives? Well, let's look at what it actually says. I can do all this through Him. This passage is talking about our connection to Jesus Christ. This passage is saying that we can find these kinds of contentments. We can find this kind of satisfaction, and it's only found through Jesus, in Jesus, living in Jesus, abiding in Jesus, being a part of Jesus, having the Holy Spirit in our lives. The fact is, is that true contentment is through Jesus Christ. There is a relational aspect to true biblical contentment. It's when we have that life-changing hope of Jesus living inside of us. And that Holy Spirit is actively living through our lives. That's when we can have true contentment. It's when we feed our need for Jesus. When we feed the need for Jesus Christ in our lives. We don't feed the greed. We don't feed the, the desire for the things in our bank account or, or the nice house or any of those things. The thing we feed is that hunger for a stronger relationship with Jesus. That's when we find true contentment. I would dare say that many of you in this room who have been married a long time and you've seen good times and bad times, and you've been through thick and thin with your spouse, you would probably be able to stand here and say, yes, true contentment was not found in my marriage because we had a lot of money. Being healthy financially can make a marriage easier, 
But true contentment is not found in being financially stable in a marriage. True contentment is having a healthy relationship with your spouse, right? I dare say that in your marriage, if your marriage is strong, it doesn't care how, I don't care how much is in your bank account because your marriage will get through it. And many of you in this room can probably attest to times when you had next to nothing and your marriage was what, one of the things that helped get you through that difficult time. Your contentment in this world should be founded on a relationship with your Savior. That's where true satisfaction can we be found. It's feeding our need for Jesus. Listen to what Hebrews 13.5 says. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Notice what that passage says. It doesn't say, don't find your contentment in money because Jesus will always provide. Is that what that passage says? No, it says this. Find contentment not in money because he gives us the promise that he will never leave us or forsake us. That promise is nothing to do with our money. It's all about relationship with our Savior. If you want to be content, if you feel sometimes like you're a slave to your checkbook or your comfort level in this life, it means you need to work on the relationship you have with Jesus Christ. Because that is where true contentment is found. When you feed the need for that life-changing relationship with Jesus. That's where we find contentment. You see, it's not about being self-sufficient. It's being Christ-sufficient. It's not leaning on your own ability to take care of yourself. It's leaning on the knowledge that Jesus Christ will always walk with you no matter where you're at. That's what brings true contentment. So fourth, chapter 4, verse 13, does not say that you're going to win that game through the strength of Jesus Christ. That your team is going to win that game because of the power of Jesus. That is not what this passage says. This passage is not saying that you're going to be able to get through that big project or at work or you're going to be able to test that, pass that test that you haven't prepared for, that Christ will give you that strength. That's not what this is saying. This passage is saying whether you are healthy financially or not, God still loves you. And your contentment in this world can be found in Him. Don't get me wrong. If you have Philippians 4.13 posted somewhere in your house, there's nothing wrong with that. But understand that that passage is talking about whether you're in a good place or you're in a bad place, God can get you through it. That's what this passage means. Look at what else this passage has to say to us. I've been talking about contentment, but in verses 14 through 18, he makes a shift and starts talking about the partnership that the Philippian church had with him. And he talks about how he rejoices in the gift that they had sent and that they were providing for him. And he, he reminds them that when he left the church of Philippi and continued his ministry, that they were the only church that partnered with him to take care of his needs. 
And he starts talking about this healthy, godly partnership between him and the Philippian church. And he thanks them for that. And the question this morning out of this part of the passage is this. What is your partnership with God's work on this earth? You know, as First Southern Baptist Church of Scottsdale, we support multiple missionaries. We support the Southern Baptist Convention's International Mission Board that sends missionaries throughout the world. We support several church plants here in the valley. We support several ministries that are reaching out to the needy here in the valley. We, we are partnered as a church with many, many groups that are going out and spreading the gospel of Jesus to the world, both here in the valley and all over. But what's your partnership with the work of Jesus? Let me be totally honest, I hate teaching on this. I'll just call it out right now. I hate teaching on giving and money and tithing and all that. I'll say it right now. I hate teaching on this passage, this type of passage. Because every time I talk about giving, I always get an email. (laughs) It never fails. And generally, that email is one of two ways. It's either, I'm really trying, but I've got this and this and this, and I understand it's okay. I'm not saying that... God's calling you to this amount of money right now. What I'm saying is you need to seek God on what your partnership with his work should be. But the other email that I always get is, Pastor, you need to just stick with what the Bible has to say and quit talking about money. (laughs) Guys, I've been here five months and it's the first time I've ever talked about money. And I generally don't talk a lot about money because I don't think it's a great thing to talk about. But if we're going to talk about biblical issues, let's talk about that for a minute. The Bible talks about believing 272 times. The Bible talks about praying 371 times. The Bible talks about love 714 times. Isn't that amazing? And it talks about giving to God's work over 2,000 times. So let's talk about what the Bible has to say, shall we? No, I'm not going to talk about it that way. Guys, listen. If you're not a follower of Christ, this part is not for you. Period. End of story. This is about followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we're not just encouraged. We're commanded to partner with the work of God. It is not a suggestion, it's not an encouragement, it is a command. But we look at it reluctantly and we look at it as a burden and as a duty that we have to do because we're Christians. But that's not the attitude that Jesus wants us to have about this. Paul in this passage is saying, thank you! Because if it wasn't for your partnership, I couldn't have done it. I mean, think about the ministry of Paul. This guy is walking from city to city to city, ministering and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is he doing to make money? He's making tents. He's making tents for people to stay in. Not big money. And not something that's easy to make while traveling constantly. And so the fact that the Philippian church partnered with Paul and his ministry was huge. So what is your partnership with the work of God? How are you giving back from the blessings that God has given you? 
Because it's not that we're giving away, it's that we're giving back to God. Now, let me say this. We're not called to be consumers, we're called to be partners. But guys, this church is a giving church. This church is a generous church. When I first got hired here, I heard over and over, Pastor Chad, if you've got a youth trip that's planned, believe me, those youth will be taken care of financially. There is not a single student that won't be able to go to church camp or on a mission trip because they can't afford it because somebody will come along and sponsor them. Those are the kinds of things I heard. Was Pastor, this church financially supports mission work, and I believe that. And you want to know one of the reasons why? I've seen it. This church financially has been so faithful in making sure that the ministries we support are financially taken care of. And I love that. I love the fact that I can call Todd and Katie Miller and say, Hey, Todd, Katie, we want to give you a little extra this month. Hey, we understand the work you're doing and we love the fact that you're spreading the gospel. How can we partner even more? I love the fact that before I came here, we started a generous giving campaign so that we could improve some of the things, uh, the, the parts of this facility so that we could better further the gospel of Jesus Christ here in Scottsdale. I love that we started it and we finished it a few weeks ago and we made $5,000 more than what we asked for. Thank you for partnering. Let me just say, your generosity, not just to the Generous Giving campaign, but your generosity in general, is making the gospel accessible to people who didn't have the gospel accessible to them before. Lives are being changed. People are hearing about Jesus because of the generosity of this church. And I want to personally, as the pastor, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for your faithfulness to give. So what is God calling you to do? What's the next level of partnership that God is calling you to? What is your contentment level in this world? Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you so much. God, we thank you that you provide. And through that provision, you call us to be content with what you've provided. And Lord, my prayer is that we would feed the need for you, that we would feed that desire for a relationship with you more than we would feed our greed, that we would recognize, we would see the way that we've been feeding our greed, and we would turn away from that, and we would look for ways to feed our relationship with you even more. Help us to feed the need, not the greed. Help us to be content and help us to partner with the work that you have here and around the world. We thank you, Lord. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of response now. And if you need to pray, uh, we want to invite you. The altar is open and available to you. So, so come as you will and, and pray to the Lord if you need that. Uh, maybe you need to talk with someone. Uh, Pastor Josh and myself, we're going to be right here on this front pew. So if you need to talk with someone, feel free to come up. If you want to accept Jesus, or maybe you've got questions about what it looks like to accept Jesus as your Savior, we're here to talk to you about that. And we would love the opportunity to answer any questions uh, or maybe schedule an appointment to, to have a deeper discussion about it. But we are available if you need that. 
So now is the time to respond. So let's stand and respond to our Lord.